0: Our news daily. Thanks for being here. In the first segment of the show, we talked about uh, Barack Obama and just the pseudo intellectual. Uh, oh well, you know everyone's complicit like, what is that? Where does that come from? And and where do we see it? It's everywhere. And Barack Obama is just like the epitome of it and really mainstreamed it. Uh, but it, it's the opposite of moral clarity. This is a time when we need moral clarity. And, uh, him and people like him are, uh, are trying to muddy the water. So we talked about that the first hour. Then we, uh, I want to play here though, the second hour about William Wilberforce. Now I don't think we have in here. You got to subscribe to SiriusXM because we had a guy call in and this guy is like living in Wakanda land or something. It's unbelievable. The, the, uh, what he got out of this story and just would not let go of it. It was pretty funny, but that's for the, uh, that's for SiriusXM podcast. Uh, for this, for our purposes here, um, we have to figure out how we are going to win the abortion battle. I, I, have, I, I get it, but I cannot have patience for the person who says, "Up, oh, we lost. That's the end of it. It's a loser. Uh, just forget about it forever. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it must be won. We have to figure out how. No other issue. Would you be like, well, listen, Ohio voted for open borders. So, you know, it's a loser. So I guess we just got to be done with open borders. You know, forget about the closed borders now. Ohio doesn't want it. Can't you would never do that? You'd never be like, well, Ohio wants uh, higher taxes. So we just got to, you know, lower taxes is a real political loser. So we should just have higher You would never do that about any other issue. And we shouldn't do it about this one either. There's a way to win. But I guess first we have to resolve ourselves that it is something worth winning. And I've been inspired by the story of William Wilberforce. I did the best I could to present it here. Here in San Diego, a uh, how old is this kid? He's young. The uh, he's like. He's in middle school. So what are you, 13 in middle school? He got suspended from school for two days, banned from sporting events for wearing blackface to a football game. He wore blackface. This kid wore black. you believe today? These are all white kids today. He wore blackface to a football game. You know what he really did? We got a picture of it. He wore like the, like the black... Paint or whatever that, that like football players will put underneath their eyes, or baseball players put underneath their eyes, whatever that stuff's called. He put that under his face and like put it down like below his cheek. Like like yes, a little too much of it, but in no way, <laughs> in no way at all would you ever, ever, and and no sane human would ever call that blackface. But this is what happens when you you are. You're morally, spiritually, intellectually unable to draw distinctions. And that's the country we live in today. We talked about the whole last hour. We talked about this, this moral murkiness, this moral muddiness, this moral uh, nihilism that we live in today, exemplified by Barack Obama, but we see it all over the place. We see it with Israel and Hamas as well. So yeah, this is one example. Maybe we can spend more time on that uh, on Monday, but that just popped across, uh, popped across here. Uh, Hey, it's Veterans Day. Let's start off with this, and then we'll get to uh, William Wilberforce. This is William Wordsworth. Next hour, we're going to spend... I got got a bunch of stories to share, but I want to read this poem here. This is late 1700s, early 1800s, character of the happy warrior. We talked a bit about the warrior in the last hour, too. Who is the happy warrior? Who is he that every man in arms should wish to be? Who, with a natural instinct to discern what knowledge can perform is diligent to learn abides by this resolve and stops, not there, but makes his moral being his prime care, his moral being who doomed to go in company with pain and fear and bloodshed, miserable train turns his necessity to glorious gain. And therefore, does not stoop nor lie in wait for wealth or honors or for worldly state, whom they must follow, on whose head must fall like showers of manna if they come at all. I love that line, it's one of my favorites. So, the, these, the happy warrior serves and, and worldly acclaim will be poured on them. Nah, probably not. But what about the wealth? That our, vet, that our service members, have, the wealth and the honors and the worldly state. No, no, probably not. And it doesn't matter because that's not why they joined in the first place. A constant influence, a peculiar grace. But who, if he be called upon to face some awful moment to which heaven has joined, great issues, good or bad, for humankind, is happy as a lover, and attired with sudden brightness like a man inspired, He who though thus endued as with a sense and faculty for storm and turbulence. Oh, it's so good. Endued, uh, Endued as with a sense and faculty for storm and turbulence. So you can handle it. You can handle the storm. Is yet a soul whose master bias leans to home felt pleasures and to gentle scenes. Sweet images, which wheresoever he may be, are at his heart. And such fidelity, it is his darling passion to approve. More brave for this, that he hath much to love. That's beautiful. So uh, he fights. He gets sent around the world. He can, he can uh, fight anywhere, right? Any storm, turbulence, just the worst imagine. But uh, he he just wants to be home. He's made for storm and turbulence. But the gentle scenes and the sweet images of home are where his heart really is. That's what he really wants. That's what he really strives for. That's why he's fighting for home. Who, whether praise of him, must walk the earth forever and to noble deeds give birth, or he must fall to sleep without his fame and leave a dead, unprofitable name. Mm. like right there it is so good who the happy warrior who whether praise of him must walk the earth forever and to noble deeds, give birth or he must fall to sleep without his fame and leave a dead unprofitable name. So it doesn't matter whether he lives on uh, uh, this, this life of of people, you know, worshiping him wherever he goes because of what he did or dies on the battlefield. It doesn't matter. Find some, finds comfort in himself and in his cause. And while the mortal mist is gathering, draws his breath in confidence of heaven's applause. This is the happy warrior. This is he that every man in arms should wish to be. The idea of the warrior who just wants to go home is a uh, wonderful theme. There's the uh, Gladiator, the no movie Gladiator. I haven't seen it in too long. I gotta watch it again. <laughs> it's been a couple of years. You should watch Gladiator once a year. So this is a bit of a spoiler, but the movie's been out for like 30 years. So uh, he dies at the end, and uh, the woman is uh, Lucilla. This is the daughter of Marcus Aurelius, the good emperor, and he's the she's the sister of uh, the evil emperor Commodus. And when Maximus is killed in the uh, gladiators arena he falls on the ground and what does he have vision of does he have visions of the battles and the glory that he achieved on the battlefield and the gladiator no he has visions of home and this is the scene and you know it with the long road lined with wheat and at the end of this road is his beautiful wife and his young son and his young son runs to him down the road and this is his dying vision and as he's dying this is what he whispers to lucilla we have the scene right here Is
1: safe. Go to them,
0: says Lucius is safe. That's her son she thought Commodus might kill. So his final words were other-centered, just like a warrior. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about my life. It was about the safety and future of, of a child. And meanwhile, all he wanted to do was go home and be with his family. And that's when Lucilla said, go to them. Because she, she can tell that's all he's thinking about. His wife and his son. Earlier in the movie, uh, uh, Marcus Aurelius, the good emperor, he tells, he asked Maximus, Yeah, this is when they're in like the tent. And he says, uh, when was the last time you were home? And Maximus says, two years, 264 days, and this morning. That's all he wanted was to go home. The, uh, GK Chesterton quote, the true soldier fights, not because he hates what is in front of him, but because he loves what is behind him. Happy Veterans Day. Tomorrow. Happy Veterans Day tomorrow. Um... Right, i want to talk about william wilberforce for a little bit here you have to read the book i have it here somewhere it's called amazing grace it's about william wilberforce by eric metaxas uh beautiful book pretty quick read and metaxas is great i love reading metaxas books uh Maybe there's a word every three pages. It averages maybe one every three pages There's a word. I, have to, I don't even know what it means. I have to look it up. But but he just he writes it so effortlessly within it. It's it's just great. It's a great, great book. And it's about William Wilberforce, who is one of the most important people ever. There's a truly amazing man. And he led the abolition movement in England. When no one in the world... Was thinking like this. How did he do it? How did he do it? And I wanted to go back and see what, see what we could learn from William Wilberforce in light of what happened in Ohio with the abortion vote the other day. That wasn't even close. There's got to be some lessons that can be learned. There have to be. It's a direct parallel in every other way between abortion and slavery. So uh, if we have an abolition of, of abortion, excuse me, of slavery today, Well, who did that and how did he do it? If that's what we want with abortion as well. So a couple things I just want to share and you can do with it what you'd like. Uh, First, one of his, he had two driving forces in his life. And the first one he said uh, is to make goodness fashionable. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to make goodness fashionable because London at that time was a cesspool. It was an absolute pit and I'll explain in a minute, but he never pushed this as a religious or Christian effort. It wasn't, he wasn't ashamed of it, but it wasn't, it was just an effort to make society better. That's just virtues better. It's not to avoid hell or go to heaven. It's just better for you and your family and your neighborhood and your life right now. If you do these things, Uh, Churchill would have called it civil, uh, civilizational Christianity Make goodness fashionable. Things in England in the 18th century were so ruthless, so immoral, uh, immoral, way, way worse even than where we are right now. At least 25% of unmarried women in London were prostitutes. You're saying in America we talk about how many unmarried women there are. There's not getting married, but they're not prostitutes. There were brothels all over London, exclusively for girls under the age of 14. The average age of a prostitute in London at this time, in the 1700s, was 16. So we had rampant, open child prostitution. Legal and not immoral. A common practice across England was if a woman committed a serious crime, the punishment was to hang them in public then burn their bodies and or publicly dissect their bodies. And the reason was, uh, because it was believed by many, that if your body was burned and or dissected, then it took away any chance of a bodily resurrection and entering into heaven. Now, the argument was that this was to deter crime, and I don't know, maybe it did. But as uh, Wilberforce said, it also coarsened the souls of those present. And that's where we are today. We have coarsened souls. This came up yesterday about how numb we are to the evils around us. There was also rampant animal abuse. There was a thing called bull baiting. So bull baiting is they have a bull and you stab it a few times and then you unleash the hounds on it. You unleash the dogs. And there was a particular breed of dog that they would breed with a big head and big jaws and a little tiny body because it was harder to throw off. If it had a little body, but a super strong bite and the bull would uh, buck the dog, the dogs and the dogs would go flying in the air and then they land and they'd either break their neck or break their back. And then, and then sometimes the dog would get up and attack again and the people would cheer, cheer that, that dog, by the way, that breed, uh, they're called bulldogs. So that was entertainment. I'd, I'd argue we're not much better today when it comes to entertainment. It's just different. It's just different. I think what we watch today is just as um, just as brutal to the soul as that. I do. Uh, I guess maybe the different that, that was worse because it's live. I guess well, at least we have this um with this like protective force where it's like, oh, it's, I'm just sitting on my couch and it's on a TV, so it's okay to watch this brutal stuff. There's like one level of disconnect between it, so we think it's like fine or something. I don't know. A man was watching this this bull baiting once. He said it was the most barbarous act I've ever saw. He said, I was up in a tree and I was afraid the earth would open up and swallow us all up. (laughs) Or I was was afraid the earth would open and swallow us all up. (laughs) It's a great line. And they would do this with other variations. They'd have a horse and they'd have it attacked by like an ape. It's like, this wasn't that long ago. And this was all to keep the masses sick and numb to evil. That was the point. And today we're just as sick and numb. We are. And it's out of that society. This is why Wilberforce started with this. Because it's out of that that slavery it could exist. And same thing today. It's out of a sick and numb society that abortion is even able to exist. Someone called in the other day. I don't, again, I don't want to dunk on a caller. But he said, we got to stop worrying about abortion. And we've got to focus on, uh, on bigger issues that, that have real generational impact. Listen, listen to those words again. So we need to make goodness fashionable. Oh, Slater is such a square. (laughs) Okay, fine. Well, how's it going? Let's ask that. I always ask that question. How's it going? How are things? Licentiousness was the word back in the day. It's not even a word anymore. No one uses the word licentiousness. Licentiousness means excessive indulgence of liberty. We think freedom and liberty is the ultimate. And this, and this is where we're going on because this is where the pro-choice crowd wins because they say, I think even in issue one, I even think it use the word liberty. Like liberty, how are you guys hijacking the word liberty? You Democrats on the left, you, you pro abortion people are using the word liberty, but they definitely use the word freedom because we've, we've, we've messed up. We think that freedom is the ultimate goal. We think freedom is the ultimate end. We think liberty is all that matters. And now, oh, we got liberty? Great, you can do whatever you want. It's like, oh, no, no, no that leads to something that uh, our, our forefathers called licentiousness. It's freedom without virtue. And here's what you get. Licentiousness. We used to have a word for it. <laughs> it was bad. And now we don't have a word for it. So we have to get to the root of the immorality in our country. And virtue is, is, is what we need. It's not freedom for freedom's sake. It's freedom for virtue's sake. It's freedom so you are free to pursue virtue. Again, freedom is the beginning of the story, not the end. If you make freedom the end of the story, then you get abortion. Oh, you shouldn't do that. Ah, oh, freedom. It's like, oh well, I get, like, yeah, it's freedom, I suppose. But no, that's not the point. Freedom's not the point. It's freedom so that. And then when we, we live in a, in a country again, in a society again, with virtue, then people's eyes will start to open up and we'll become more sensitive to the terrible things that go around us all the time. We'll wake up to the million abortions that there are every single year that people just brush aside as uh, not, a, not a political winner. And a lot of time it's Christians who need to wake up. It's the pseudo-Christians who need to wake up. William Wilberforce, he went to the, one of the leaders of, of, the, of the London community, and he was trying to get him on board with the morality order. It wasn't this wasn't even the abortion thing or the uh, the slavery thing. This was just on the morality. They were going to issue some proclamation uh, about morals, and he was trying to get this this uh, you know person of note to sign on. And uh, and the man said, "Oh, so so you wish to be a reformer of men's morals? Look then." And see there, what is the end of such reformers? And he pointed to a painting of Jesus being crucified on his wall. So he's saying, oh, yeah, there you go. You want to be a reformer? You're going to end up like him? Okay, good luck. Good luck, Bill. So this is a very odd moment because we're in the house of a wealthy nobleman who is willing to have a painting of the crucifixion of Jesus in his house. And then when presented with the, the opportunity to promote virtue in his country, he goes ah, I don't know. Kinda sounds like you're just gonna stir up some trouble. You know? And I don't I don't wanna. Let's just let's just keep the child brothels open. You know, freedom. They're free to do what they want. People need to be free to do what they want. Who are you just going to come here? You're just going to make a mess of things. You know, it's like, man, you you have a picture of Jesus on your wall and you're not going to take a, and I think there's a lot of Christians that are like this today. A lot of Christians will be like, I'm not for it. I would never. But, you know. Separation of church and state. You know, I, 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 I can't be expected to make any moral declarations about things. You know, who am I? Look what happens to the troublemakers. But then eventually the scales start to fall. There was a man. His name was Falcon Ridge. How about that for a last name? Are there any Falcon Ridges left today? I'd love to meet a man. A mike falconridge so this guy he wrote about the conditions of the slave ships the british slave ships people have never seen them before there was no twitter they didn't know just sugar just showed up in london but this this uh, essay wrote about the decks underneath the slave ships and how they would uh they would stuff so many slaves underneath the ship the ship that the slaves would have to lay on their sides. They couldn't, they, they, they couldn't even, you couldn't even lay on your back. You had to lay on your side. You couldn't stand up. And you couldn't breathe. There's no fresh air and there was one chamber pot. So every, I mean, you couldn't get it, because you're all chained together. So you couldn't even get to it. And so everyone just defecated where they laid for weeks. And they got boils and sores and sick. And on the journey, they call it the middle passage. On the journey, a third of them would die. And then the rest were so sick, or many of them were so sick, they couldn't even be sold and they couldn't even work. And it was, it was like horrific. He, said, he said, it is not in the power of the human imagination to picture a situation more dreadful or disgusting. That's what he wrote to the people of London. And the dead were just thrown overboard. And they were under the ship for weeks at a time. I'm about to get on an airplane in a couple hours. And uh, on the last uh, flight here, I was in the very back seat, very back corner next to the bathroom. And it kind of stunk. And the guy next to me was big guy. Like a big, strong guy. But he was like all in my seat. (laughs) And it was an hour and a half. I napped. Most of it. But it was still like pretty uncomfortable. It kind of smelled. Kind of tight. And uh, an hour and a half. And we taxied for like 20 minutes. So I kind of know what it's like to be on a slave ship is what I'm saying. But it gets even worse. September 6th, 1781, there was a ship called the Zong. Z O N G. You can look it up. I'm not making it up. It was a slave ship from Africa to Jamaica, 470 slaves were stuffed underneath and they were stuffed underneath for weeks before they even set sail weeks before they set sail. And the journey, the guy who was piloting the the ship or the the captain, he was, he just, it was terrible. And the journey didn't take a couple weeks. Like it was supposed to, it took four months and the captain had a problem. So many slaves were dying that he wasn't going to make any money on the shipment. Because if they get if they die, he doesn't get any money. And if they're so sick they can't work, he doesn't get any money. So the only way he could get any money was if he claimed, made an insurance claim. And the only way he could make an insurance claim is if these these people died because of peril of the sea. And and the peril of the sea was, uh, he claimed uh, it didn't rain, so there was no water. And that was a peril of the sea, and then the insurance company would pay him money. It would be four thousand dollars in today's dollars per slave. So the way to make that happen was to push slaves overboard alive. So think of the horrors of this, right? So first of all, these Africans have never even seen the ocean before; they've never seen the ocean before, they've never seen like a boat before, and and like what 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 is going on? Am I in hell? Like this must be hell. Who are these aliens? Who are like what is happening here? And then dozens of them, every day, were thrown overboard alive. And on the third day of this, uh, some of them started to fight back, but to no avail. So, long story short, he makes an insurance claim, and the insurance company paid it. And then there were rumors, because the, the, the sailors on board, and we can get to that in a minute, because that's another parallel of abortion. The sailors on board were appalled at what they were forced to do, but they had to do it, otherwise they were going to be thrown overboard too. So they started talking about what happened, and there were rumors. So the insurance company sued the, the, the boat, sued the, the captain. And the court sided with the captain, with the slave ship captain over the insurance company. So then there was an appeal. And one of the sailors, who was so disgusted with himself for being involved, testified in court, told the whole story. gave proof that this was a willful murder of these slaves. And the court again sided in favor of the slave ship captain. The court said it would, it would be as if horses were thrown overboard. No big deal. Samuel said, this is a horrible story. Why are, you, why are you sharing this? How could this possibly be good news? How could this possibly be a part of the abolition story in England and, and therefore America and the world? This case was so written about that the details of the slave trade were written down and sent to pastors across the country. And pastors preached about this topic for the first time from the pulpit. And there was a, a chancellor of a major university who made it the question of a uh, popular essay contest every year. And the question was, is it lawful to enslave others against their will? So now this was finally a question that everyone was thinking about. It became finally put in the consciousness of the people of England for thousands of years. Thousands. Unquestioned slavery. No question by anyone. Anyone. Anyone in the world. And now it was finally questioned. So, what, so I, don't, I don't get it. What's encouraging about this? It took years for people to see the truth. Well, it took thousands of years, but then even when the, the movement first started, it still took many years. And we're just not there yet when it comes to abortion. We're not there yet. And American support of abortion is exactly proportional to the morals of our people. My friend, Jesse Kelly, he wrote on Twitter, he said, there's no politician who can save us if the people do not change. We do not have a politician problem. We have a people problem. Either the people change or this place is finished. And it should be. I heard this analysis uh, from uh, Joseph Blackhold. He said, people don't like abortion, but they vote for it anyway. Why? Because they view it as happiness insurance. Again, this ties in the the William Wilberforce uh, first started with the morals of the people, just in general, and then slavery. And and they're directly tied here with abortion as well. So this guy says uh, abortion is viewed by most people as happiness insurance. The sexual revolution has conceived, excuse me, convinced the world that it is impossible to be happy if you're not having as much sex as you possibly can. That's the sexual revolution. You have to be having sex. Sex is happiness. And it's the only way you can be happy is to have sex all the time with everyone no matter what. You got to go out tonight. Go out tonight and just have sex with whoever you can find. So abortion is necessary because pregnancy inevitably results if you're having lots of sex, of course. The kids today, they call it body count. What's your body count? I see these man-on-the-street interviews with these young women and, and like, oh, I've had sex with 20 men. You're like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Of course, hookup culture makes people miserable, which makes it somewhat ironic that babies die and the adults are miserable anyway. That's the way it is. Sadly, not having sex is seen as more unthinkable than killing your baby. So until we destroy the lie that sex equals happiness and you need to have as much sex as possible with random people all the time, people will continue to see abortion as a necessary evil and vote that way because that's just the way it is. Like, I, I must be having sex. Like, sexual revolutions, we must have sex all the time constantly with everyone no self-control ever right? all these other virtues that used to exist chastity purity modesty none of, like, those are all out the window so you got to have as much sex as possible and if we're going to do that because we have to then we have to have an insurance policy we got to have an option I got to have choice it's the natural consequence it's the natural result so we can't just say oh, we got to end the insurance policy. Because people are like, oh, well, we can't do that. I still have to I still have to have, have sex with as many people as I can at the club. So you got to get to the root of it. We have licentiousness celebrated. Look at our pop culture. And it leads to people uh, uh, feeling that abortion is, well, of course, I mean, we need it. How could we live without it? I gotta take a break. I go on forever. The abolition movement took decades. That's my point. We spent fifty years fighting against Roe v. Wade from a legal standpoint. Well done, well done, Trump. But also, well done. A lot of it took a lot of people. Trump just couldn't come out of nowhere and do it. It wasn't just like, he executed at the end. But there were fifty years of people getting to that. But fifty years of work behind the scenes. And now it's time to focus that same energies on people's hearts. And we can't give up, please. Just because right now, because right now the way things are framed, this is a losing thing politically. We can na- we can navigate it properly, and, and like incrementalism and all, we can do it right. But generally, please don't give up on the cause. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap. If we do not give up. I love Bible verses that don't sound like they're Bible verses. Because people hear me like, oh, that's a pretty good quote. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap. If we do not give up. Welcome back to Breitbart News Daily. Always an honor to talk to the great John Nolte. We try to do it every Friday. I think it's just a good relaxing way to <laughs> end the week. Here's John. Hey, John. How are you?
1: Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Good,
0: good to you. talk to you. Uh, lots to chat about. I want to start off with a little celebration here first. Breitbart.com. Thriving. Growing. Doing amazing. Jezebel.com. Not so much. Jezebel named after the, the most wicked woman in the Bible. Uh, and the website <laughs> shut down. What's going on here?
1: It You know, Jezebel launched uh, about 15 years ago, and it always felt to me like it was out of step. It, it always felt to me like it was one of those 2003 snark sites. Um, it just felt out of step to me the whole time, uh, even though it was launched in, I guess, 2007, 2008. And it's a left, it was a left-wing feminist site and, um, you know, pro-child murder, pro-everything left-wing, uh, embraced the, every hoax that the left could come up with, the Russia collusion hoax and whatnot. And it, you know, it hung on because it was owned by a huge, um, a huge uh, publishing company, but it never made any real ripple in the news cycle. I, I Probably in its 16-year history, I clicked on it two or three times. Maybe I clicked on it more, but I forgot. And finally, it just couldn't hold on anymore. It just—they finally had to face reality. And when a left-wing site goes down like that, especially a left-wing site with a brand like Jezebel, you know that it—it's dead. It was just dying over there. And if you look at the comments, I—and I was surprised it even had comments. That—that's a good way to tell. Uh, how a left-wing site is doing or any site is doing, you know, it would put a piece up and maybe get four or five comments. So there was no action over there. There was no community whatsoever. It had no community at all. So they finally had to give up and just shut it down, uh, which was probably something they should have done years ago, but pride stopped them because the site probably wasn't making any money, but it was just a pride thing because it was a left, you know, the left doesn't like to admit that anything fails. So now it's finally gone and, We all get to make fun of it. And the best part of it is that they admitted that they talked to at least two dozen buyers and (laughs) nobody wanted to buy the thing. So I would say it's done forever. My guess is is that someone's going to pick it up like they did uh, Gawker, and it'll probably come back Mm -hmm. for about six months and then die again, which is exactly what happened to Gawker.
0: Yeah, didn't didn't Newsweek sell for (laughs) a dollar? At least they could get something out of it.
1: Yeah, Newsweek and Newsweek is around now, but you know it's nothing yeah. like it was. It's just a, it's just a website so, like any other website.
0: So why? That being said, and let's again let's celebrate that this feminist website went down. Uh, why does Breitbart work?
1: We work because we tell the truth. That's why we work. It was very easy for me to declare Jezebel a misinformation site. You know, if I were to write that piece and just call Jezebel a left-wing site, nobody's going to nobody cares about that because, of course, they're a left-wing site. But for me to go through and declare Jezebel a misinformation site, that's a that's a totally different headline. That's a totally different approach. That's a much uh, more enjoyable piece for me to write. I, You know, I get more energy when I write a piece like that. And it was very easy for me to do because I could I very easily found all kinds of stories they wrote that were lies and. Um, that's the problem with those sites is that they they spread misinformation. And even leftists, there just are not enough leftists out there that want to be lied to to keep a site like that alive. Breitbart tells the truth. And we have a community that um, in, that wants to be told the truth. And we, that's why we have this massive comment uh, community. That's why we have this massive social media imprint, and um, we go out of our way. We work very hard to not spread misinformation. And, and unlike the mainstream media, the corporate media, CNN, the New York Times, if something comes along that fits our quote-unquote narrative, because we're openly you know, to the right, we are fastidious about verifying it before we publish it Mm. so it's not a situation where it's too good to check over here now that happens all the time at the new york times you know the, the the hamas hospital hoax that cnn and all of them spread we wouldn't have done that because it's not too good to check here we check everything um and people can count on us now they may not agree with some of the things they do they may not like some of the things they do a lot of people don't like the things i write but we don't lie to anyone and I think people respect us for that. Plus, we cover all the news. We have a great team that covers all the news. We don't miss anything. We're fast, uh, and we have great writers. So that combination has kept us has kept us going. And you know, Alex Marlowe is just a terrific editor in chief. I say that even though he's a friend of mine, but that's just objectively objectively true. And and Larry Soloff, who's also a friend of mine, you know, these guys know what they're doing, and they've put together a great team. And we just run a great web website. I am a consumer of Breitbart news, um, as well as a writer for it.
0: We, uh, someone called in, must've been post election. I forget what the context was. And he said, um, you know, we just can't trust, uh, you know, whoever anymore. All we can trust, you know, is com and, and, uh, well, we used to trust Fox and, and, um, well, I guess that's it. I guess he <laughs> couldn't, couldn't yeah. come up with a second source. Uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's probably about right. Um, you mentioned, John, I, I really want your, your take on this uh, about uh, abortion. You mentioned Jezebel and they're very pro-killing uh, babies, I believe, as you put it. That's pretty harsh words there, John. Uh, but I th- we've had a lot of frustrated people call in saying that abortion is a, is a political loser. and Just give it up already, man. Enough of this, all right? Just let them kill the babies and let's win some elections here. What do you say to this?
1: Well, you can't... What's happening with abortion is unfortunately what's supposed to happen. The states are supposed to decide and the states are deciding. It's not going our way and it's an argument that we have to win, but it's a moral argument that we have to win. Um, This is the way it's supposed to be. This is what we wanted when we said we wanted Roe versus Wade overturned. Um, I would like to see the Supreme Court declare the murder of the unborn unconstitutional because the, the unborn have constitutional rights. I don't think that's ever going to happen, but I think that's what should happen. Because that's not going to happen, the states are going to decide, because Roe v. Wade was terrible law. Take the morality out of it. It was terrible law. There is nothing in the Constitution about abortion. There's nothing in the Constitution about the right to privacy, which is where abortion was found. The whole thing was just invented. So terrible law removed, Roe v. Wade removed, as it should have been. It goes to the states. Now the states are deciding. And, and that's the way it should be. Now we have to, we have to win the moral uh, argument, and um, one of the ways we're going to lose the moral argument, I think, is if we try to force these 15-month these or 15-week or these 20-week laws on people. It, it has to be a moral persuasion, um, and we have to take a better temperature of these states before we start forcing laws down people's throat. One of the things you have to look at with abortion is, is unfortunately, the long game. Let's say you pass a law, a 20-week law today, but it backfires. How many babies are going to die overall? If it backfires, is it going to backfire for 20 years? Is it going to backfire for 20 years and all these babies are going to die for 20 years? As opposed to if you try to make a moral case and then you can pass a a law, a 15-week law or a 20-week law in 10 years? You know, the difference between how many babies are going to die in 10 years and 20 years, that's a lot of babies you save. And that's the way we have to look at it. Now, the problem, of course, is that people on our side, the base on our side is demanding these laws get passed immediately. And that puts these politicians in a very tough position. And it also creates politicians that want to win. So they say, this is what I'm going to do. So politically, it's a sticky situation. But you know, hopefully it'll work itself out.
0: Yeah, Trump and I some pro-life guy, Trump a couple weeks ago did an interview with someone and he took like this incrementalist approach, I think as you were just describing. And a lot of pro-lifers got on him hard. Like, oh, he because he was like, "Oh, we'll find something that we can all agree on. We'll find something." And she's like 15 weeks, 20 weeks, 10 weeks, And he's like, "I don't know. We'll find something that we can all agree on." And we'll and it sounds like he was as always uh found the right temperature of the room and a lot of pro-lifers were against him. And I was like, no, 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 this, he's, this is it. We're not there yet. We're just not there as a country yet. And it's a shame, but we're not. Um, we had a bunch of people call in and write me emails uh, saying, Slater, we got to give up on it. We got to give up. on it. And my thought was, listen, if, if Ohio voted to have an open border, there's no way you would call in and be like, Slater, give up on this border thing. You know, it's a loser. Good point. It's a real loser. Ohio said open borders, we should have open borders. The people aren't ready for open for closed borders yet. So why why are people giving up? Why what's this why is abortion different than you know, if Ohio voted for higher taxes, people wouldn't be calling in saying, Oh, listen, the people want higher taxes, John. So we just gotta have higher taxes. It's a loser. We should never vote to advocate them lower ever again. It's a loser. What's up with that? Why is abortion different to people?
1: I think it's because, A, we're used to it, and B, uh, there's a disconnect from it. It's not, you know, abortion is a very, it's a personal thing, and, you know, it doesn't affect me. You know, you're not killing my baby. You know, I don't don't see it. I don't sense it. Open borders, I sense, because it affects my wages. It affects the cost of everything. Uh, Taxes, obviously, I feel. So I think that there's just a disconnect from it, even though the moral the moral uh, issue is, is, should be tantamount in your mind. And Trump is absolutely right. You know, if, when you, when a Republican says I'm going to pass a 20 week law or a a 10 week law on abortion, you know, that freaks people out. And, and when a Democrat comes along and says, I'm going to preserve abortion, everybody, they're going to win more votes. And Trump's approach is exactly right. Most people are opposed to partial birth birth abortion. I mean, it's like 70 percent, 70, 30 issue, if not an 80, 20 issue. Then you can get then you can just work your way down. So he's looking for a place that we can say this is where we can put a stop to it. And the other side is saying, no, we need to stop it. Absolutely. And they're going to their approach is going to result in more dead babies than Trump's approach, and you have to look at it, unfortunately, from a math point of view, because that math point of view is the moral point of view if if you're living in the real world.
0: Yeah, it's tough to swallow. I wish that weren't true, uh, but it, it is. It is, yes. Yeah, um, someone, I uh, wrote this, or excuse me, I read this. Uh, someone says, uh, they view abortion as happiness insurance the sexual revolution convinced the world it's impossible to be happy if you're not having sex. So abortion is necessary because pregnancy inevitably results if you're having lots of sex. Uh, So sadly, not having sex is seen as more unthinkable than killing your baby. So until we destroy the lie that sex equals happiness, people will continue to see abortion as a necessary evil and vote that way. It's interesting. What do you think of that?
1: Yeah, that's, that's, that's absolutely true. I mean, it's just a fact. The sexual revolution has just been a disaster. And, you know, when when AIDS was unable to kill, and this is when AIDS was killing people, uh, when AIDS was unable to put an end to the sexual revolution, you knew the sexual revolution was never going to end. And that's, that's just a fact. It's, oh, wow. You know, and, and sex is the most destructive. I should say loveless sex is one of the most destructive mm-hmm. emotionally, spiritually, physically things you can engage in. It. And people just, it's never going to stop. Um, and I, I have no idea what the attraction is. Even when I was a single man, I never understood it. Um, thank God. And, uh, but it's never going to stop. And it's so destructive. It's such a terrible thing.
0: My last question on this one, uh, you said, uh, it's an argument we have to win. Uh, why do we have to win it? Cause I know there's a lot of people that just want to give up on it. Who cares? Why do, why do we have to win it?
1: Well, it's, it's a moral imperative. It's, it's, I mean, babies are dying. Human beings are dying, and they're dying for for what? For convenience purposes. They're dying because someone just wants those babies out of the way. And no one is asking a, a woman to raise that child, to put that kid through college. All they're asking a the woman to do is take responsibility for her actions, give it birth, and then she can walk away from the child. So they're, a, a human being is dying because of convenience, because this woman doesn't want to, to doesn't want to carry the child to birth. That's it. It's a human being, it's a baby. It's the most innocent creature. It's a sinless creature, a sinless human being and we're murdering and butchering it in the most heinous way imaginable, cutting it up into pieces, sucking it through a vacuum. Of course, we have to win that argument. Of course we do.
0: do What's your definition, John, of moral clarity? It's a term we've heard a lot these last few weeks and lack of it. Uh, We spent the first hour talking about Barack Obama and he's, uh, he did this like pseudo intellectual. see if I can pull up the quote here somewhere. It's like, Oh, you know, he's like, on the one hand, what Tomas did, there's no excuse. But on the other hand, they, you know, it is justified <laughs> on one hand. It's not justified, but on the other hand, you know, they've been occupied for a long time. So it kind of is actually justified. And he said something like, we all have, I'll pull it up here in a second, but we all have, uh, we're all somewhat culpable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're all, yeah. We're all complicit to some, here it is. Yeah. Uh, we have to admit, nobody's hands are clean. All of us are complicit to some degree. What do we do with that pseudo-intellectual babble?
1: Yeah, it's just it's just gobbledygook. And I don't, I, it. it's, there is, you know, when people talk like that, it's just a way of feeling superior. It's, it's like I take the superior point of view because I'm willing to say that I'm complicit. And it's like when white people want to run around and uh, are willing to uh, call themselves colonizers, you know, or accept some sort of guilt for slavery. It's just a way for them to feel superior. It's a it's a uh, it, and it's a lazy way to do it because they don't have to do anything. There's no you know, there's no sacrifice behind it. It's, it's just smugness. And then, of course, it's a way for them to, to condemn other people without doing anything brave without doing anything mm. virtuous at all. And, and, you know, there's no moral clarity in that, obviously, because it's all gobbledygook. I just saw a video. People should look it up. Uh, Dr. Gorka, our mutual friend, Dr. Gorka, just tweeted it out where a reporter talking to Piers Morgan, just a Murray
0: Douglas Murray yeah. is, is a that? absolutely brilliant man.
1: I mean, people should watch that. I mean, if if you want the definition of moral clarity, watch that video. It is just astonishing. And, you know, Piers Morgan, who's gotten a little bit better over the years, just went back to his old stupidity during during this whole conflict. And Douglas Murray just annihilates every, you know, oh, what about the children? You know, and then uh, I love the thing Douglas Murray says, well, you know, these people accuse uh Israel of, uh, Israel of, uh, of genocide in, in, uh, in Gaza, and yet everybody knows that the population is exploding in Gaza, so how can there be genocide? It's just things like that. It's just facts, facts, facts. And the, I guess the primary <laughs> definition of moral clarity is facts. And that's what this guy, he just annihilates these arguments, and I would love to see him um, uh, uh, debate Barack Obama because he would just turn him into a pile of goo.
0: It's amazing that these professors, Professor Obama, uh, has been able to get away with that for so long. But that just must be because, you know, if you're around 100% of people like that, you're not uh, you're not challenged in any way. Right.
1: Yeah. You know, I found that when I stopped watching the news, because for a long time, it was my job at Breitbart to watch the news. That When I stopped watching the news, it my my moral clarity uh, increased.
0: exponentially. Oh, why? How did it make you numb then? How did the news do that to you?
1: Because you get caught up in that world and you, you, you just, it's very easy to get pulled into their thinking, into their, oh, you know, I need to be sensitive about this and I need to be sensitive about this. And this is the way people think. And if, if I were to go back and I would never do this because I never do this, if I were to go back and look at the things I wrote, then the way i was thinking that i'd be embarrassed now and and i just know that the difference between the way i see the world now which is quite clearly and i did say 10 years ago is is night and day and my clarity is much is much better now and my view of the media is much clearer now than it was then because when you're in that world you're just you know i had five tv going tvs going at one time and uh it was it was just very i had a very different outlook on the world and a very different outlook on life
0: yeah that'll that'll mess you up (laughs) five at once you're like injecting it into your into your heart yeah that that, that that'll mess anyone up um i I got two more questions this this first one will be the shortest segment we've ever done um did you watch the debate no okay moving on to the uh the next one um (laughs) We we did a 10 listener poll would have been what 2 days ago or yesterday. 10 listener poll to start off the show. Uh do you want any debate analysis? And it was 9 to 1 no. So, uh <laughs> we moved right on <laughs> right on to the next topic. Uh as we'll do here. Um why should I care about the conclusion of the writers or actors strike? And uh I love your recent recent. You've been writing a lot about it. Uh, the The feminist angle. We'll go full circle with another feminist story, about uh, the marvels and uh, and and why Hollywood keeps pushing this nonsense on us. But let's start with the strike. Why, why do I care? There's nothing to care about. Uh, it's. Uh, <laughs> you, I thought you were going to no give us something.
1: No, I thought you were. No reason, to, <laughs> no, oh, there's no reason were. to care. It's uh um uh you know it's over um you know <laughs> s- some movies that are going to come out maybe six months later because they weren't done filming or they hadn't started filming. So if you watch the schedule of, you know, when the next mission impossible movie is going to come out instead of in December, it's going to come out in June. Um, it's not going to change anything. It's just going to be business as usual. So there's, you know, there's no reason to care about it. Uh, it's over. That's all it's a, it's an inside thing. Okay. The only way it's going to affect your life is, you know, you might have to wait six months to see whatever movie
0: you want to see. Uh, <laughs> right, what about the uh, the Marvels? And uh, this is great. Someone wrote uh, about how the Marvels and the reason this this w- movie about female superheroes isn't going to do well is because men won't go see it. So men are the problem here, John.
1: Yeah, that's. I mean, there's there's 150 million women in in the country. <laughs> so the, <laughs> I mean, you don't need men. To make a to make a box office hit. If if twenty percent of the women in the country go see the Marvels, it'll be one of the biggest hits of the year. So the men you know, you don't need men to make a box office hit. You don't even need you know, fifty percent of the women to go see the movie. If if you know, if 30 million women go to the movie, it'll make it'll make 300 million dollars. So
0: yeah.
1: you can't blame men if the Marvel's tanks. <laughs> and it looks like the Marvel's is going to tank. It's that's just the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs>
0: that's great. Um, I, I didn't see the trailer for it yet. Uh, I saw like 10 seconds of it. But uh, the new Ghostbusters movie. But the comment I saw, someone said, it's crazy to believe that the original Ghostbusters was a comedy. And this new Ghostbusters seems like a very serious, like a like a Dark Knight kind of like like uh, heavy movie. Uh, mm-hmm. which do you prefer? Do you, uh, how about this? Do you prefer the, the, the Ghostbusters and Batman in their original forms as comedies and camps, campy things, or in their dark, sinister, uh, who even is the bad guy kind of thing?
1: Well, I, you know, the original Ghostbusters was a mix of horror and comedy. Um, so it wasn't really just a straightforward, not that I remember. Um, my issue with, Ghostbusters is that it's not really franchisable because it's it's such a simple concept, which is what made the original brilliant. You really can't branch it out. Um, and I've seen the sequels, including the one with the original cast in 89. And I, I just don't think it's a very good movie. Um, and the other movies haven't been very good because there's not much you can do with the concept except repeat it. And I saw the trailer for this new one and I... I mean, so what if New York is freezing? I just don't, I just don't get it. But I, um, the uh, uh, the Batman, I like the Dark Knight trilogy. I thought Christopher Nolan did a, did a great job with that. But I also enjoyed the first two Batman movies that Tim Burton did. Um, I don't like the campy TV show, the one with uh, with uh, uh, you know the one from the '60s with the Joker and all that. I I, n- I never cared for that. Even as a kid, I didn't.
0: Um, I don't have the quote in front of me, but it was one of the comic book writers who is credited with first making, I don't know if it was, I think it was the Joker, like, evil. And he said it was the biggest mistake of his life to un- to open up that Pandora's box that made Batman darker and darker and darker of a movie. Like, literally, like like to the point where you can't even like see the movie now. It's like all black, which is like theme, <laughs> thematically too. It's like so dark. And he said it was the biggest regret of his life.
1: Yeah, I like, no, I like the darker Batman. I think <laughs> I think the dark, I do. I think the dark Knight is a great movie. I didn't like the latest Batman movie, the Batman. I, I didn't think that was a very good movie, but I do uh, the darker Batman's I like, and I, I didn't like Batman versus Superman. Uh, I thought those DC movies were pretty bad. But um, you know, it all depends on how well it's done. But that the Dark Knight with the with the Joker, uh, I thought it was a fantastic movie, and it was it worked because it was an allegory of the war on terror, um, and you know, it had some real depth to it about what was going on at the time. But it very brilliantly disguised it uh, through a through a terrific story. Um, so it, it's not just dark that I like; it's it's how it's. Yeah. It's how it's executed, and what it means.
0: Do you, do you have any uh, any thoughts on on Veterans Day?
1: Well, I just think it's important to remember that everything we have is because of of those men. I mean, every these it's unimaginable to our generation, and we see it now. You know, people are just crybabying over what's happening in Israel, and that's because our generation even my generation, I'm, I'm 57, has no concept of war, no concept whatsoever of what war is, how horrible it is. Because, you know, the last three wars that we fought, this country has fought have just been stupid wars where we've tried to fight, quote unquote, moral wars. And they've gone on forever. And we've been hidden from the, from the, from the reality of, of what it is. And, um, and now that we're watching what's happening, what's happening in Gaza, which is totally righteous. I mean, people are just freaking out because, you know, they're used to uh, pretty wars and and everybody talking in the the correct way about wars. And Israel is just doing what needs to be done. But we just can't imagine doing what what these men have done over the generations to, to protect our way of life so that we can sit here in front of our computers and on our iPhones and not have to worry about anyone breaking in our doors and live our peaceful lives and stream our TVs. I mean, those guys gave up everything for us.
0: Talk about which, which Batman genre we prefer the most. Exactly. Uh, Our,
1: our luxury problems.
0: (laughs) Nolte NC on the Twitter. And of course, all over Breitbart.com. John, always good to talk to you. Thank you, sir. Yeah, you too, buddy. Have a good weekend. Thanks, man. You too. (music) Thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily this week. Uh, On Monday, Dan Gaynor will be here. Also, Mark Houck, uh, he is the guy who was arrested for uh, being at the uh, pro-life or a uh, abortion clinic a couple of years ago. Was not arrested on on the scene, but then Joe Biden, when he was in office, said, "Oh, we got to go get that guy." His Department of Justice went back and got him. So we'll talk with Mark coming up on Monday's show as well. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you then. Spread the word.